Hello and welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the online bookmaker that offers you low margins, high limits and a unique winner's welcome policy. We've just launched our new eSports mini-series where we're speaking to various individuals from right across the eSports ecosystem. We're trying to help eSports fans, new and old, learn a little bit more about the industry. Today's guest is someone who can tell us exactly what it's like to run an eSports event as well as one of the most popular online gaming platforms. It's Mick Atisani, co-founder and chief business officer of Faceit. Welcome to the podcast, Mick. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Definitely some some unique insight coming from you today, I think. But uh, to get us started, we'll start with a very generalized question. Some people out there have their view of esports. Some people don't know what esports even is. So for you, how would you kind of describe esports? Yeah, esports is a really competitive gaming to me. Uh, it starts, uh, you know, very much at the grassroots and, and community level. It's people that come together to play uh, a video games against each other and to see who's uh, who's better, um, who comes on top of it. So um, it's not necessarily just um, you know big arenas and millions of dollars in prize money. Um, to me, esports are really. Um, you know, includes everything from, you know, the two friends that are playing the, um, you know, the, the FIFA match in their living room uh, for bragging rights or, you know, to bat uh, a dinner on it. And I'm guessing you you probably have experience of that, that grassroots stuff. And I know, obviously, from Face It, you do have the the experience in the big million-dollar events and stuff like that. But where did where did the journey begin for you? Kind of what was your earliest involvement with esports and, and how did things progress? Yeah, I started pretty early as a, you know, as a consumer, I would say. Um, I had, uh, you know, uh, one of my, my first uh, PCs uh, had a dial-up internet connection and uh, started downloading um, uh, some some multiplayer games and playing some multiplayer games. I remember back in the days was, um, I think the, the, big, um, the big one for me was uh, Quake Free. Uh, I still remember when the the Quake Free test um, came out before the the actual release of the game, and um, I, I downloaded it and and started playing online, and that was um, that was love for me. Um, you know, I, I've been hooked with the with the esports and and gaming ever since. Uh, I'm a multi- multiplayer game kind of guy. I'm not like big into you know single players games or stories. I really like online games are like uh, the you know human aspect uh, of the competition um and um that was my my you know uh, my, my foray into uh, into esports i think at the time i was um probably 12 or 13 years old and um uh yeah it was the, was the quick days uh I, I you know started playing the game on ride i started making uh, the first friends there. Um, I joined an online community that was, um, you know, in a way like very similar to what Face It is today, but <laughs> uh, with a let's say like you know a lo-fi version of Face It. Um, you know, I, I, IRC obviously was was huge back in the days. Uh, now we have Discord, but really like you know it was uh, it's very very similar in terms of uh, community dynamics and um i was pretty active in that community i was a uh, um a moderator for one of the largest um uh communities in italy for for competitive gaming and esports uh i don't think that word esports even existed uh back then 
Um, so we, for us, it was just a, you know, playing online. <laughs> well, it's interesting that because we had we had Marco from Pinnacle on on episode one of this mini series, saying that he was he started out on on Quake Two. You there saying it was Quake mm-hmm. Three? Is that is that kind of regarded as like a, a key cornerstone of kind of what esports is today? Even though it's it's obviously in the past and, and not so so popular now. I think so. I, I think it is for me and for a lot of the old school um, industry professionals that have been in the industry for a very long time. Um, I have a bit of a, actually a different story because I that was a passion for me and I did it for many years, but um, it was never a work or a job. Uh, and, and I went on to do something completely different in business. Um, and then, you know, life brought me back to esports uh, when we, we, we started to face it. But um, for a lot of people that have been in esports for 20 years or so, uh, it was definitely quake, you know. I'm thinking about, you know, uh, Ralph from ESL, for example, or, you know, uh, James Too Good, or you know, a lot of other people really they they come from from that game and that that world in that ecosystem. I would say definitely Quake in the in the Western world um, was a game changer, and then obviously StarCraft as well. Um, those two titles, I think, obviously you know carried um, uh, esports and competitive gaming forward for you know a very long time in the um, you know in the late nineties and early two thousands. Yeah, well, that's you kind of touched upon it there. That's one of the the reasons I was so, so excited to talk to you because it was that that fan element that you've obviously got and a, a long history of esports in terms of like playing the games and stuff like that. But then also this this business side of things. So when you kind of just said you your business life led you a little bit away from esports for coming before coming back to esports, can yeah. can you maybe tell us a little bit about that and kind of when you begun to to see esports as work or, or part work, part fun? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, for for me, it was pretty clear cut when I, when I was playing the game back in the days. It was uh, uh, it was purely for passion. And when we were going to the largest competitions and tournaments, uh, the prize money was, you know, oftentimes like a CPU or a motherboard, or <laughs> you know, for the the biggest tournaments, maybe they had uh two thousand dollars or five thousand dollars in prize money so um it, it wasn't really a job for for anyone i think there were at the at the time maybe 10 or 20 program programmers uh globally um if you ex- exclude korea maybe a few more in in south korea but i'm talking about like you know europe and and us um so that wasn't really a, a viable option uh unfortunately i wasn't i wasn't good enough um you know some of my best friends went on to become professional players um and did that for uh, for a number of years like like Sturmy. obviously he's a face co-founder as well um but um you know he was the he was the only one in in italy the only pro gamer in italy at the time and uh one of the the uh, very few in in europe um so it was uh it was pretty unique um so it wasn't really like a uh, being part of the business of esports um wasn't really an option or, or you know a career option for me because there was no business of esports, basically. Uh, so um, th- that's why you know I I decided to to went on. You know, like you, like everyone, my my parents were telling me you should you should find a real job, and and I I couldn't disagree with them. Like esports wasn't um, 
a viable career path. So I went on and uh, started working on, um, you know, for consulting firms uh, for a number of very, very large um, consulting, international consulting firms. And uh, um, it was... Um, it was great. I mean, it was great for me because it gave it gave me the opportunity to understand the real business world um, and uh, how it works uh, in you know much more structured corporate environment um, and how you run very large um, business organizations. Um, so it was it was pretty pivotal for me in terms of like my personal um, growth. And then um, um, after after a number of years. Um, this was uh, around 2011. Uh, I met with um, uh, one of my co-founders, Nicolò, which is the, the CEO of, uh, of Faceit. Um, he was um, um, similar, you know, story um, to mine. He was a uh, passionate about video games, uh, but went on to start his career in uh, investment banking. Um, and then he was at Lehman Brothers, and after the crash, he you know stayed for a little bit more with Nomura, but then um, ended up um, uh, starting and doing an MBA in um, in New York. And while he was doing his MBA, um, he he came up with the original concept uh, for for Face It, the original idea uh, of you know building this this online platform, and. Um, um, you know, he called me because he, he knew about my background in uh, um, in esports or competitive gaming online, and he just wanted to have a um, an opinion on the idea. It wasn't to start a business or anything like that. Um, but we, you know, we ended up uh, talking for over three hours about it, and we got really, really excited about the prospect. Um, and um, uh, ultimately, we decided to uh, start a company together uh, with. Um, with um you know Sturmy, the the third co-founder and we'll get on to obviously what face it is what face it does shortly but for you now in the kind of the the, the business mindset are you also looking for for individuals that that still have that that esports background is that kind of like a, a key component for you in the in the esports industry and the work that you do yeah i think that's um that's always a big struggle um because on, on one end um I think it's one of the biggest limit of the, the esports industry. You have uh, um, people that have spent their entire life in esports and don't have much of um, uh, business background and professional experience, uh, which can be can be great if they are, you know, prepared and they have the the um, you know the skill set to learn the business craft um, and skill set and uh, uh, develop that side but um, it, it takes a long time and uh, you know it takes a lot of uh, you know motivation and and um, um, also like you know the, the right type of mindset and approach and um, there's few people uh, that are purely um, you know coming from esports that have that unfortunately while on the other hand you have um, uh, a number of uh, great professionals that have a super solid uh, business background and track record that are uh, willing to come into esports today because um, obviously they see it as a you know very new and shining opportunity um, and um, they uh, you know they, they do it with uh, very mixed results um, because this this is a uh, a lot of people think that this is uh, some sort of like a 
um, sports business uh, that is just slightly different um, but it's really not like it's it's completely different this is um, uh, in the, the way you know the consumer think the way uh, the market dynamics are um, the way you know the the, the, the publishers uh, have a, a central role um, in the in the development of the space and also the way that different publishers think about esports as well and how they approach it just makes it um, you know, very, very complicated, and um, uh, it's very hard for outsiders to uh, to come in and uh, understand the space without uh, any previous uh, uh, background in uh, in esports. So um, most of them fail, um, and it's it's very rare, you know, to find a, that combination of uh, um, you know either someone from the esports space that can develop a very meaningful business craft uh, or someone from the business world that can develop a very uh, good understanding of the esports market and, and their um, dynamics. Um, so that's that's really the challenge from, let's call it like, you know, recruitment from human resources standpoint uh, that, that you have as, a, as an esports company. Um, how do you find uh, you know, and, and nurture and grow uh, this, this kind of profiles. And that kind of perception or the, the tendency for people to, to look at esports and think like, oh, it's esports, but an electronic version, is that, are you beginning to see big shifts in that or is that still very much an issue for you and, and the business that you work in? I, I don't think it's an issue. I think, I think it's an opportunity. Um, the fact that we we are going mainstream um, and there's a lot of attention now uh, towards esports is a, is a great opportunity uh, and I think you know th there's there's a, a part of the uh, old guard you know if you want to call it that way that is really afraid uh, um, of this you know um, this level of attention and level of investment coming in uh, from people that are not endemic to the esports space um, and uh, I, I can see why they are. I think they, you know, for them is their, in a way, like, you know, the, their little um, playground they want to they protect and defend. Um, but I think it's, a, it's also pretty limited uh, view. Uh, we, we should uh, be embracing um, this new external influences that are coming into the space. Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot that we can learn from them and uh, there's a lot of good things that we can bring from um, you know traditional sports models and so on um, into the esports phase. But at the same time, we should be very uh, conscious of our identity as well. Uh, we shouldn't just uh, take a, you know a anything the, uh, that we, we, we get told um, as um you know as the, as the truth uh we should always uh, put a filter on it we should always uh, understand uh, uh what can work for for esports and what doesn't work for esports um and that's a that's a challenge that we're we're facing every day um i think uh you know makes me makes me laugh when you see people that self-proclaim like esports experts on linkedin or you know online um because i don't i don't think anyone can 
claim that title really like uh, we're we're still uh learning every day um all of us um and you know i'm talking about the management of face it or any of the large esports companies or any of the uh large investors in the space uh, or any of this um traditional sports companies that are um, invested into esports now it's a it's a learning process for for everyone there's so much um, that we don't know yet and then needs to be tested needs to be experimented needs to be discovered um, and um, also that's what makes it really really fun <laughs> well I guess that's it isn't it it's because the the industry is evolving so much like how can someone be be an expert in something that's still almost kind of finding its feet for for want of a better phrase i guess yeah for, for you though is it how do you feel about like what's changed you mentioned there obviously i mean you're involved in the business side of things i assume that the growth for you is obviously very much a positive but then on the other side do you find yourself being one of those people that it's you still see it as your little playground and it's you don't want it to go too far you want it to stay to the, the true esports fans or is it just growth is good in your in your opinion yeah no, i i'm uh, definitely on the growth is good side uh, of things uh, i think it had, and and look i think uh, very conscious of the fact that growth sometimes will mean a disruption uh, will mean uh, you know changing uh, um, things that people are are uh, got used to and sometimes they will be changed for for the better sometimes we will be changed for worse um there, there will be uh negatives uh coming with a with a growth as well um i think that if we you know saying that growth is uh, uh it's going to be just uh you know added value and positive for esports fans and community um it's it's delusional there there's there's going to be negative as well um but it's part of the process and i think um it's a part of the natural evolution that the esports uh, market has to go through um to to mature and and evolve and i still feel like we are we're really at the ground floor uh, we're, we're just getting started now with uh, with this process. So what I guess for people that might not have insight into what things were like back in those days where you were playing Quake 3 and into where we're at now, what are kind of the biggest changes from, say, 20 plus years ago to, to 2020 now and, and where we're at with, with things like Face It and Flashpoint? I mean, there's a lot of changes, right? I, I think the... The long story short is um, it's this is a real business now, um, and the reason why it's a real business is because with the number of uh, the sheer number of people that this touches, when we were playing back in the days, um, it was uh, it was very niche. You know, we were. Uh, a couple of thousand people or maybe like tens of thousands of people across the entire Europe and uh, it was a very small and, and tight community. Um, but the bar, the barriers to entry were extremely high. It was very, very hard to, um, you know, have a PC or you know, decent internet connection, or you know, even to be able to configure everything to make the the, the game run. Um, <laughs> the, the, you had to buy these games. Um, now, um, you know, the, the, we got to a point where the level, the barriers are so low, uh, everyone can come in. You know, everyone has a, has a PC at home. Everyone has an internet connection. Um, most of the games are free to play now. And um, uh, the games themselves are much more accessible uh, as well. You know, I still, I still remember um, 
when uh, you know when when League of Legends and you know Dota uh, back in the days it came out, um, they everyone was uh, considering them, um, you know, dumbed down games basically, right? They were they were such a limited version uh, of um, in terms of gameplay of what we were uh, used to play before that everyone thought like uh, this you know these games don't have enough depth. But obviously, we we were all wrong. <laughs> Ultimately, what they were doing was to um, to lower the barrier to entry, and they were very very successful at that. And and now, League of Legends is the you know the biggest esports title in the world um, for, for for that reason. So um, uh, I think this this all factor uh, came into play uh, and just made it. Um, um very accessible for players um and um ultimately like you know we always say um having a a, a great esports game um is a consequence of having a you know healthy uh competitive community having uh, tons of people that play the game and and engage on a competitive setting um and um uh, that's happening now you know more and more um because there's a new games coming out um uh, every month that that are aspire and want to be esports title um so they're trying to build this dynamic uh, that allows for low bar to entry but also having uh, enough depth to provide um, a high skill ceiling for the players and um and obviously like you know other other uh big factor um in, the, in this space where um uh, Twitch and streaming platforms emerging, um, which brought uh, really the mainstream attention to the esports phenomenon, because uh, that was the, I would say, you know, the turning point uh, that we saw in the industry uh, in terms of like mainstream attention and investment was um, um, when um, Twitch sold uh, to Amazon for for a billion dollars. Um, all of a sudden, everyone, you know, turned around. And uh, in the you know let's say investors community um, and um, uh, started asking themselves what what is this esports thing should I be you know part of it because it's uh, it's probably the next big thing um, so that was a definitely a pivotal moment as well and obviously with that that growth and and how good it can be I'm sure it brings along with it challenges and kind of an underlying theme here seems to be this this level of education and kind of whether it's in a in a professional sphere or whether it's people that are new to the community and new to these games, they need to kind of be educated yeah. about what they are and what they actually mean. So it may be if you could talk about your, your approach to kind of helping educate people about esports, but then is there any other challenges that also jump out to you as as the esports scene has developed? Yeah, I think um, on one end, uh, we've seen a lot of uh, initiatives now um, in terms of education uh, of um, you know esports professionals um, and and so on, um, and you know as much as I, I I really think that is great and very much needed to um, to have uh, people that can can create a, a shared knowledge base and best practice that can be learned um, by aspiring a professional in the space. Um, it's still like very early as we I was saying. Um, um you know earlier in in the podcast uh we we still have so much to learn that is really hard to 
to say, okay, this is uh, how, uh, you know, holistic uh, program for education around the esports industry should look like. Um, so it's, you know, <laughs> it's very much a, um, a trial and, and error process um, that we're, we're going through right now. And, um, um, you know, ultimately, I think that we, we still value people that have the, you know, the flexibility um, uh, to learn, but also to uh, adapt to how the, the market is changing. Um, because today, if you, if you hire, you, you cannot come in and, and hire a hyper specialist um, in a specific area of the, of the business uh, in esports as you would do in traditional businesses, uh, just because the, the business hasn't been run for, you know, this industry hasn't been along for long enough to create a um, hyper specialist. You have, uh, most of the time, you know, people that are specialized in one area, they just ended up like doing that for whatever random reason, not for, <laughs> you know, very, uh, going through a very sophisticated thought process. Um, and, uh, I think that's you know that's going to change over time, um, but it's it's going to be a long process. Uh, I think for now, um, it's important to uh, focus on um, having people that have the the adaptability to uh, you know to grow with the industry and and being able to um, to change quickly and learn new things and and move quickly um, and adapt to to the market uh, as the market changes. We've spent some time kind of looking over the the very past of esports and kind of your beginnings in the in the industry and those Quake Three days. A little bit about kind of what we've seen from the growth, but let's kind of drill down into the current space and and where you're at now. What you do, obviously, I I introduced you at the top of the show as the the co-founder and chief business officer of Face It. I'm sure people are probably wondering. If they don't already know what what is face it what does what does face it do so could you maybe tell us a little bit about i know it's probably a very complex question to answer given that there's there's so many offshoots to the business but maybe the the core offering of, of face it and what it does within the esports industry sure I mean, Faceit is uh, first and foremost an uh, uh, online platform and community where people get together to play um, uh, competitive titles um, or you know play the, their favorite games in a competitive environment uh, we are by far the, the largest globally uh, we have over 15 million people on our platform um, and they play um, i don't even know what the most recent number is but like uh, tens of millions of game sessions every month on the platform to give you an idea on average our daily users spend over two hours and a half a day playing on face it so uh, it's a very very uh you know, engage and dedicated uh, community um, that that we have, uh, and um, we um, obviously we, we don't make uh, uh, any games. We partner with game publishers and developers with some of the you know largest uh, um, publishers and developers globally. Uh, ultimately, what we offer them is an uh, is an opportunity to create um, a, a strong. Uh, um, 
competitive community around their titles um, by offering the tools that uh, the Fizzy platform uh, make available, um, which um, allows for you know for everyone to create their own competitions and experiences and tournaments and communities. Um, uh, which can be meaningful for uh, a very large number of uh, of, of players globally. Uh, so this is the you know the, the the long story short. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into that. We over you know almost uh, nine years now, we built a wealth of um, you know technology and expertise um, that uh, really helps uh, creating these experiences um, and and uh, you know enhanced. Um, uh, you know the community creation um which is um the you know the, the core value that we have as a as a company and the core goal um so that's um uh, you know i would say the, the the very long story short um but obviously that you know created a a number of things on top of it from you know competition that we started creating and, and curating ourselves for uh for players on face it uh, uh, brought us to um you know uh having tournaments with with prize money with professional players participation as well um with um you know creating a, a structure and infrastructure to give a viable uh, path to um path to pro to uh, amateur players so um give them a chance to go from playing the game as a you know passionate fan to becoming a professional player and then that ultimately led us to uh, also like organizing some uh, very large tournaments and competitions um with millions of dollars in prize money uh that were broadcasted uh, globally on digital platforms and television and you know organizing very large scale um live events like the you know the facing major where we sold out the SSC arena in wembley um and so on and so forth so does it I'm, I'm guessing now that the the platform then gives you a direct kind of view into the fans what they're playing are you able to do you know kind of the the most popular games for the platform yeah i mean i, I would say at, at this moment in time uh for us as face it uh kind of strike global fence is definitely the uh number one title and uh, i think we're witnesses witnessing a, a a true like renaissance of kind of strike um it in 2020 in general um we we've seen numbers uh growing and growing in terms of uh players and, and user base um and uh now in particular uh we're in the middle of the you know the covid 19 um situation happening and unfolding and then uh, we've seen um that kind of strike is um one of the most popular titles and one of the most played titles uh now that a lot of people are uh, at home um so i would say that's the, the that's the first one uh, the biggest one but really um we have a big number of titles on on our platform that we're supporting and growing uh, uh we announced earlier this year um a pretty big partnership with uh, with ubisoft on on rainbow six um which is a strategic title for us moving forward as well and uh, uh tremendous success and you know the game has been released uh uh, already a few years ago but it keeps growing steadily and has a very um you know dedicated uh, um 
community of, uh, of fans and players um, in you know a lot of other games like uh, League of Legends, Dota 2, um, PUBG, Rocket League, uh, um, even NHL. There's a, there's a large number of titles that we're currently you know supporting and uh, uh, growing on uh, on our platform. And do you feel because obviously the CS:GO very different to to League of Legends, very different to PUBG. We had Marco on talking about the the different kind of genres of esports titles. Mm-hmm. Is it is it beneficial for the industry? Do you think for everything to be to be banded under this this esports title, or does does CS:GO to be need to be known as as CS:GO within its own right outside of esports? Yeah. That's uh, I think that's a very interesting point. Uh, I would agree that by defining all these games as esports, we are somewhat like taken away from uh, the nuances of each of these different titles, and they're extremely different. Um, not just the game itself, but um, you know the way. Um, you know the community works and you know the fans um you know preferences and uh, uh the way you know each of different publishers approach the game and their ecosystem um there's a there's very very deep difference um between these different titles so uh, i would i would say yeah probably it would uh be favorable for esports to start splitting out more into the different titles um or at least like identifying the different genres and um uh who are you know the the leading titles in those genres um then then trying to generalize uh you know too much as we we're doing right now um because if you if you look at it you know and i think that's this is one of the biggest challenges that people coming from outside esports are having as well, um, and the reason why it, it you know takes a lot of time to really uh, learn about the market is that it's not just one market. You're you're talking about like ten different sub markets just inside you know esports. Well, it's probably a lot, a lot more than ten, but let's say at the very minimum you need to understand you know ten of them. In order to start getting a decent sense of uh, uh, of esports, well, that's it. It seems almost like the esports has developed so quickly and grown so quickly that it's it's kind of snowballed into this thing. And then maybe looking back now, it's like, oh, maybe we should have pulled those titles out from the the terms of esports. But now things have have almost gone so far. It then becomes a challenge in itself to to make people pull CS go out from what they know as esports. I guess doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right, and um, it's also in you know in a, in a way. Um, I was thinking there's there's very few things keeping this title together. You know, they have very few things in common. Uh, like I say, uh, Counter Strike and League of Legends, for example, um, they have very few things in common. You know, maybe the you know one of the few things is uh, face it potentially, right? Is um, um, platform that um, um, has players from from different titles uh, that are using using like you know very similar tools um, to to engage and, and play together um, you know some other um, things they have in common are you know platforms like twitch for example um, or you know some of the teams that have uh, um, 
they they have rosters they're playing uh, in a number of different titles um but it's very very few things really like you know the touch points between different esports titles are um not that great if you if you really think about it and on the the face it side of things you mentioned the word kind of community there a few times and I assume there's there's other means for people to to have matchmaking or to play their friends online but how deep does the the community element of face it go is it is it kind of like there's a a social media element to it outside of the the point where you're playing your friends on the games and stuff like that yeah absolutely so uh it 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 got to a point where it's much more than just playing the game or you know uh, playing a competition with other people um the community aspect or you know social media if you want to call it uh, um that way is um uh it's it's very it's very relevant in the overall experience uh that the players have um and we you know esports is a is a very social phenomenon people um you know want to play with their friends they want to they want to play in a social environment and they want to be part of the community this is a very um i would say like you know very very primal and natural instinct uh, that we have as as human beings and it it applies to esports and gaming uh as much as it applies to you know every other aspects of our lives um and that's really what uh face it as a, as a product and, and experience is um uh is catering for and then outside of the the platform that you've got we've we've mentioned flashpoint pinnacle obviously proud sponsors of, of flashpoint <laughs> the event um thanks I, for I, your support yeah i know i know very well kind of just how much that's kind of shifted what an esports event or a csgo event is so could you maybe talk to us a little bit about kind of past history with the CSGO events or the esports events and just what it is about Flashpoint that, that makes it so unique and has kind of maybe changed the way that, that people think about these events. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's two uh, very unique aspects about Flashpoint. One is the business model and um, the second one is the, the product itself. Um, so starting with the business model, obviously uh, looking at Counter-Strike, uh, um, it's a very interesting ecosystem um, because Valve, the publisher, has a very hands-off approach. They like to have third parties operating uh, uh, tournaments and competitions in, in Counter-Strike. Um, and this has been a very successful model. That it brought a lot of investment from you know different tournament organizers, including you know, Face It uh, uh, and a number of others. Um, on top of uh, and and a lot of competition between tournament organizers as well. So uh, everyone is all constantly you know investing to you know better tournaments, better productions, uh, how to you know raise the bar in terms of qual uh, content and so on. And um, um, also in terms of teams and organizations, right? So uh, you have a large number of teams that um, have invested um, uh, a lot of money in 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 counter-strike just to get the best teams and the best players and ultimately like these two things are a consequence of the you know the interest from the fans counter-strike is one of the most watched um esports games globally um if it's it's up there with you know with, with league of legends uh in the in the top two um so uh, this is um 
this is a it's some interesting dynamic that we have in in a kind of strike uh, um market that is um uh unique is not you know you, you don't see it in any other esports title um and I think this brought with, especially with a number of um, external investors coming into esports, uh, VC money or traditional sports owners and so on, this brought to um, a huge level of investment and uh, maybe if you want a little bit of speculation as well um, in in the scene um, where you, you can see that top Counter-Strike players now have the the highest salaries in 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 all of esports um again maybe just league of legends can rival that in terms of like player salaries but uh we are you know talking about extremely high <laughs> salaries in compensations for some of these players uh, they're definitely you know well above um uh non you know primary sports in in europe you know they're well above uh what a non-football player but other professional athlete makes uh, every year. Um, so I, I think this this brought um, a lot of excitement around this, this space and, and the scene in general, but at the same time now uh, brought also a question of um, sustainability. Uh, how do we make this, uh, this space uh, really sustainable? And uh, there's obviously always a you know power struggle between um, tournament organizers uh, and and teams uh, that want to uh, you know understand how to split those revenues and uh, how uh, effectively the revenue flow works especially I would say like with um, a lot of them uh, you know model looking at a lot of the models from traditional sports where uh, teams have a much more central role uh, into the you know the league and the product uh, than they would in, uh, in esports today. So I think Flashpoint was a was born as a as a you know consequence of of that um, uh, issue, uh, business issue. How do we rebalance or find a structure that is uh, more sustainable long term uh, for the teams um, to keep investing at the level that they're investing today in in the Counter Strike ecosystem? Um, and and for us, let's face it. We would we were happy to let's say take a step back and um, um, you know take take more of a supporting position into putting a flashpoint together um, than we would have um, had in in a product like ECS for example where uh, even if we already had a co-ownership with teams and revenue share in place for ECS uh, Facey was still in control Facey was still the main shareholder and uh, the, you know the majority owner of uh, ECS while in this case uh, really we're putting the power in the hands of the of the teams um, and uh, this allows them to uh, to make longer term investments into into the league so this is the first side um, of the of the product that the, the project that is exciting to me uh, and it's the way we're shifting you know the economics and uh, the framework um, the business framework behind um, flashpoint and then on the other side i think um, this this allowed us to unlock um, a lot of um, investments as well um, because there's there's a lot of capital in esports right now, and uh, uh, capital will will be invested if uh, there's a there's a good model that um, 
you know, can provide long-term value and sustainability for for the investors. And that's what happened with uh, with Flashpoint. We had a, a very big investment, and um, we're now using that money and that capital to build a product that is um, very unique in in um, in the esports uh, ecosystem. Uh, we went from you know, esports had for many years um, a you know a, a desire to be recognized by the mainstream and to be um, um, I would say like you know be we put at the same level uh, as traditional sports um, and and the way that a lot of um, content producers have been going about that is to uh try and make it uh, a very you know family friendly product we we say like you know the the disney version of of esports where um you're in a way like you know forcing um forcing the content uh, into a direction and the language that is not the native uh language of um uh of esports and the esports community and the esports fans uh so what we're doing with the with flashpoint is really we're parting ways with that model uh and we're we're building a product that is what we call the esports for adults um it's very you know it's very raw it's very unapologetic and uh, it's it speaks the language that the community and the fans speak um and and uh, you know that language sometimes is not necessarily family friendly, <laughs> but we are we're we're embracing that and and uh, you know instead of trying to hide it, um, we're trying to put it as a at the center of the product and uh, um, to to give the fans what 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 they want what what they uh, deserve, and I think you know so far we had. Uh, um, you know, great, great response from from the fans. Um, you know, the viewership has been great, and uh, you know, the content that we put together has been received uh, really, really well. We we invested um, quite heavily in in content and and regional content, shoulder content that we're building uh, in and around um, um, the the games that we we host in uh, in Flashpoint. Um, and uh, you know we're excited for the fu- for the future of uh, of this product. Yeah, I can definitely recommend to anyone listening to this that that hasn't spent much time watching the the CS:GO streams or the events. That Flashpoint is very unique entertainment value outside <laughs> of the the teams and stuff like that, and the the content that you guys are putting out. But yeah, definitely a, a sense of warning for anyone that's tuning in for the first time. Absolutely, yeah. I think I would say it's the first time that I see. Uh, a, you know, a post show uh, having the same viewership as you have for some of the matches, um, and you know, people like really sticking around to watch the content uh, that is not pure, you know, gameplay. And one of the, the things that you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier about kind of the team aspect, and we've we've talked a little bit about how is esports competing with traditional sports? Is it trying to mirror the, the kind of structure there? And one thing that was really surprising to me was I was I was lucky enough to go to the, the complexity facility in, in mm-hmm. Texas and and see what those guys are doing and they're they're obviously partnered with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean it was 
mind-blowing to see the the facilities that yeah. they have access to when we're talking kind of dietitians kind of psychologists and things like that i know you're not you're not actually involved with a team but i'm sure you do have insight into how the teams treat their players and and maybe for people listening to this you can talk a little bit about how it is just on another level to what to what people might actually think yeah it's it's actually pretty mind-blowing you're right i mean the complexity facility um is something that um uh, you know we we never experienced before in esports and uh, setting a new standard and new level uh for what um you know training facility and and uh facility for an esports team uh would look like and we're we're looking now a number of teams that have um you know similar level of uh of facilities uh for for their players and the training but yeah i i would say it it, it, it we're at a point where the level of the competition is extremely high and uh, every um, every possible aspect of uh, how these players uh, practice, um, what their, their mindset is, you know, what they eat or, you know, what their life regime looks like. It's extremely critical and it can make a difference between uh, winning or losing. And um, yeah, the, the, the teams are going uh, all the way now to provide um, not just facilities but some of the you know best uh, uh coaching staff and you know dietitians and um, uh, mental coaches and uh you know all the experts that they need uh in order to um make sure that the, the players can can really deliver their best and and teams can you know can work together um uh, at, at the level uh, that is required to to be a top team um, in esports today, and I think we we haven't seen that necessarily in every esports title yet, but um, the level that we got to in games like Counter Strike and League of Legends, for example, it's um, it's absolutely uh, mind mind blowing. Uh, I think it's it can definitely be compared to the operations that you have for. Um, one of the traditional sports teams in uh, you know some of the the major leagues and it's it's quite interesting now that it's given the the current situation you mentioned there about covid-19 and stuff like that it's almost like the the shoe is on the other foot with traditional sports and now they're we're seeing a lot of um sports kind of turn towards or these these virtual sports sim sports whatever you want to call them yeah big events come out fifa i know nascar was recently announced there's an nba 2k event how does i assume it's, it's obviously good for the industry but as, as an esports fan how does that sit with you are they true esports is that something that can grow or is that just something that's that's around for the here and now and by the time the these this this circumstance this situation passes things will go back to back to normal yeah i mean i yeah of course i think they are true esports i think it's uh, trying to uh say that only few games and titles uh, are worth to be considered esports is a very um very snob approach um there's obviously like titles that have um um you know different numbers of uh of fans and and, and players 
um but we what we've seen recently with the, some of this uh you know sim sim games for example having a, a huge audience uh, on uh, also like you know linear television and and you know traditional uh, uh media platforms um i i think it's great i think it's a it's an unbelievable opportunity for uh for the esports ecosystem um historically some of this um uh, more, you know, sports games or, or sim games have uh, struggled to get the level of, of traction um, that uh, some of the more hardcore esports titles have. Um, but this, I think, this, you know, um, situa global situation we're living in right now, where uh, traditional sports are being forced to stop, uh, it's a great opportunity to create. Um, strong communities around some of these games and, and titles and I, I i truly believe that uh, um, this is going to last uh, even when we you know we go back to normal um, we will have people that will uh, uh, you know stick around and will still you know be fans of uh, um, this this new esports and is there any esports traditional sports crossover for you was there is there a life outside esports for Mick? Is it is it all consuming? What do you what do you do when you're not involved in esports? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so right now with the you know between the my my job at Face It and you know trying to to play some games, my my you know free time, very little free time I have with a with a with a family and and a daughter. Um, yeah, there isn't really that much uh, happening outside of this. I would say you know, I'm still pretty busy with uh, with this, um, but it's uh, no, it's great. It's a lot of fun, uh, and I think you know there's uh, um, great opportunities uh, uh, with this this uh, COVID nineteen situation that we're looking at. Um, you know, as as a company and as an industry, and we should be. Um, we should be prepared to to try and and and, and uh, leverage some of these opportunities to to make uh, esports a, a bigger and better place for uh, all the fans and and the gamers globally. And what does the what does the future have in store for for you personally or for for Face It? Is there any grand plans coming up? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot uh, <laughs> going on right now um, uh, from. Um, you know, from from a platform standpoint, uh, we have uh, some very very exciting new uh, product and features that we we've been rolling out um, that had great great success and a great reception. Um, you know, in particular, I think we did a um, you know case study earlier uh, in, in in 2019 with um, Battalion uh, 1944, which was the first. Um, uh, game to provide a full uh, face it integration directly inside the game um, we had great and tremendous feedback uh, around that and uh, you know now we're we're looking to um, how we can we can implement that and roll that out to uh, more and more titles um, just to give it you know also like support the development of esports title uh it's not just uh providing a community and an ecosystem when the game is already established but also how can we you know help um you know the creation and, and development of new games new experiences uh for for esports fans um so that's a that's definitely a big one for us um then you know on top of that obviously 
as you mentioned, we launched Flashpoint recently, and we're still uh, obviously with the current uh, COVID situation, pretty limited in terms of like uh, the content, what we can actually do. Um, um, but we're very excited about the future of it. Um, we announced the, you know, Rim 6 partnership. Uh, we're super excited about that. We are um, working on a number of other projects and titles like the, you know, League of Legends Cutting Grounds. Um, and, uh, you know, we just uh, expanded our operations in North America, built a new, uh, brand new uh, studio production facility, um, plus, you know, a uh, larger office space. So yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, I wanna, I don't wanna continue for an hour, but there's definitely a lot cooking for us at the moment. And if we kind of zoom out a little bit and look at the the industry as a whole, what kind what what do you feel like it needs to help maintain this growth? Is it just a case of kind of building out that community, getting more investment from the outside world? Is there what what support do you need as a as a, an online platform, as a an event organizer, and just maybe as a as a fan yourself as well? Yeah, I think the the, the keyword is uh, sustainability. Uh, right now, we we already have seen a huge amount of investment coming into the space. Um, how we, do we transform uh, all this this capital that has been deployed into um, into a stable ecosystem, uh, into um, you know parties that you know can uh, keep investing in the space, uh, but also can build sustainable businesses in the long run. Um, I think that's a, that's the main focus. That should be the main focus. It definitely is for us. Um, I think we're very fortunate in this space um, because we, we started building um, a company with that had a, um, a business model very early on in the process. And we've been uh, growing, um, you know, our, our revenues, um, to a point where we are, you know, fully sustainable business, uh, but that's not necessarily the case for uh, a lot of the companies in the in the esports space. So, I think that's where we we should all focus as a, as an industry moving forward is understanding, you know, um, what, what are the opportunities in terms of uh, revenues and monetization, and how do we build those uh, to make it sustainable in the long run. Well, that's about all we have time for, I think. Unfortunately, Mick, I know you. You must be a very busy man. So th- thanks very much for coming on and, and chatting about esports. Pleasure. Today. Um, could you just, <laughs> if our listeners do want to get involved and kind of face it or flashpoint, do you want to do any shout out to to how they can access those products? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, like faceit.com. Um, come come and join us on on our platform. And um, you know, for you know any updates on on faceit and uh, a flashpoint, you can uh, you can follow us. Uh, you know, on Twitter, on our social media, at Faceit, at Flashpoint, uh, for, you know, any of the updates, the content, the, the links, every time we're going live, we're, we'll be posting something there. So I guess that's probably the, the best way to, you know, to stay in touch. Nice one, Mick. Cheers. And, and obviously anyone listening, you can also follow at Pinnacle Esports for help with all things esports and esports betting. Thanks for listening and bye for now.